Hello and welcome back to the Jones Chronicles. I'm your host, Christina, where we talk about everything and anything. This was a good week. I got a lot of things done. It was productive. There was a little bit of a hiccup when my mom popped a tire. I don't understand how you can be an adult that likes to chastise other adults and can't keep your fucking phone charged when you go out with several other children, two of which are not your own. She pops the tire and is chastising my daughter because she had to hand over her phone. Thank God she has one to get assistance. She calls me. I'm like, I'm right on my way except i gotta get gas and then she calls me back and says why aren't you answering your phone you know we're in an emergency i looked at my phone i'm like i don't have one missed call she's like oh we don't need your assistance anymore but stay by your phone because we're gonna try to get uh someone else to assist her uh one of the i don't know i guess one of the kids dads live close and then she calls me again and says okay you're gonna need to come i was like okay well do you have a jack yes i have a jack in my car do you need me to come i I could just drive right now no i don't need you we just we're gonna okay we're gonna get someone at the gas station and then i go back upstairs and i go into my apartment and i get a call okay so it looks like we might need you to come because we're missing this part of the jack oh wait someone else might assist me why do you keep calling me why don't you wait make figure out what's going on and then call me when you need me (laughs) i got eight calls for her switching her mind back and forth and i said i could have already been there by the time you have been calling me this many times i need you to get your shit together (laughs) especially since you love to call me about my life as if it is in some type of uh mismanaged position where you need to tell me i told her eight months ago that i was going to london and she for some reason just understood that yesterday her first words were me to me were think about your child like i was going off to some uh war-ridden territory <laughs> you know how some people just don't know anything about which they are talking referencing and they want to tell you that and you're fully aware that this person probably has proven in the past knows a lot more than you do she kept asking me was it near ukraine (laughs) oh my god it took 25 minutes to to explain to her that the united kingdom is nowhere near russia today i did take my faux locks out i didn't like them as much as the box braids because they a made some of my hair fall out which i was not too happy about and b they were much tighter and then the way in which he she um braided my hair i didn't love because she put some type of um string in there i know i wasn't a fan so now i'm not getting my hair done (laughs) again until until i go to london where i am going to get my full ass weave in 
I love that sewing. It's gonna be a body wave. I'm gonna be flipping it all over the place, doing a full Willow Smith. I whip my hair back and forth. I whip my hair back and forth. I'm sure there are more interesting things that happened this week, but I didn't write any of them down. And it is getting pretty late. So we're gonna get into our history lesson this week. Let's discuss the Mali Empire. At its peak between 1200 and 1300, the Mali Empire covered an area that encompasses significant portions of the present-day country of Mali, southeastern and western Mauritania, and Senegal. Note that the old kingdoms of Mali and Ghana are not the present-day countries of Mali and Ghana. Predominantly a savanna, this vast region has two seasons, a rainy season and a dry season, the latter being the longer of the two. I would love for us just to have a rainy season and a dry season because up here in Ohio, you got rain for two days. Then all of a sudden it's snowing like it's fucking Christmas and then it's 80 on Friday. What? What the fuck? You ain't got to convince me global warming is a thing. It's fucking happening in Ohio. The Mande-speaking peoples living in present-day Mali, Armana, Senufo, and Dogon peoples have inhabited this area since the days of the Mali Empire. Today, Mandi, is it Mandi or Mandi? Speaking peoples live in almost all the parts or all parts of West Africa, having migrated in search of trade or having been displaced by war or climatic conditions. Their migrations are indicative of the mobility of African peoples in many parts of Africa. The few written accounts about ancient Mali were recorded by Arab travelers and scholars. One of the most famous travel logs is Rila, or Rila, I wanna say Rila by the African-born Ibn Butata, which we should definitely do more of him. He's interesting. Between 1304 and 1368, a great Arab traveler of the time, Rila describes life in Mali between 1352 and 1353, and records his travels to Antolia, current-day Turkey, Crimea, East Africa, Persia, present-day Iran, India, Ceylon, Sumatra, North Africa, and perhaps China. Although other written accounts of the ancient West African empires exist, Ibn Battuta is one of the few who actually traveled to this area and wrote from personal experience. That's one of the things that does suck about African history is a lot of it is not written accounts of their their language and traditions and so on and so forth. So it's always a third hand account. Oral histories are the traditional means by which people typically pass on their histories. Oral sources of African histories included poems, praise songs and accounts of past events. Official oral historians known as Griots, yes, Griots recorded the people's and courts' histories. 
the epic poem Sundiata, also spelled Sanjata, chronicles the life of Sundiata Keta between 1210 and 1260, the son of the king who, defi- who defeated the Ghana king Sumangura or Sumunguru and founded the empire of Mali. The Great Assembly, also known as the Gabara, would serve as the Mandinka deliberative body until the collapse of the empire in 1645. Its first meeting at the famous Korukin Buja Division of the World had 29 delegates presided over by a Belantigui. Belantigui. I think that's how you say it. Belantigui. Gui. Let me try that again. Belantigui. Master of Ceremony. The final incarnation of the Jabara, according to the surviving traditions of Northern Guinea, or Guinea, held 32 positions occupied by 29 clans. The Korukin Fuga, Fuga also put in place social and economic reforms, including prohibitions on the maltreatment of prisoners and slaves installing documents between clans which clearly stated who could say what about whom also Sundiata divided the lands amongst the people assuring everyone had a place in the empire and fixed exchange rates for common products this is interesting because there was this comment out there and i've said it plenty of times too but there is a difference in when when i am making this point and when this person was making this point where they they said you know you need to get over the whole slavery thing everyone owns slaves first and foremost yes that is true slavery has been an institution and continues to be in some form or another for generations or maybe since the beginning of man or since at least society there has been the idea of slavery the difference being though from the 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 transatlantic slave trade versus many other countries that did the slave trade because i think that it is important to to bring up the fact and we're learning even in these african countries that they did own slaves and prisoners the difference is that there was some type of well depending on the society right because then you could talk about romans and how they treated their slaves but then a great deal of the roman citizens actually came from the slave population so there was a mobility there versus the transatlantic slave trade there's apps i mean you're stealing people or you know some were traded into the slave trade from africans as prisoners of war or they're trying to get rid of a certain nation and tribe so they eradicate their people by not killing them but giving them over to the slave trade that's absolutely true but there's also the other part of that where people weren't doing that and they just went inland and continued to take people but on top of that it's the way in which they were transported it's the way in which the the slave trade um how it built the american economy 
there's a difference there even slaves in egypt were paid in beer like there's a there's there's um (laughs) there is not a, a direct correlation there that to say something like that is to say it out of ignorance and not true knowledge and it's not a correct statement to say to get over it and you know no should the entire african population or black population in america you know focused focus primarily on slavery as its defining factor of our people no because we do have a history before then we just don't have access to that history to be able to um to elevate the culture but at the same time there's there's plenty of reasons <laughs> for the black experience in america to be one where there's still a conversation that needs to be had because there's still things happening from that particular institution that hasn't been resolved at all so (laughs) saying things like that without having an actual conversation and throwing that out there you're just being ignorant back on track the mali empire maintained a semi-professional full-time army in order to defend its borders the entire nation was mobilized with each clan obligated to provide a quota of fighting age men these men had to be of the horon or freeman caste and appear with their own arms historians who lived during the height and decline of the mali empire consistently recorded standing army peaking at 100,000, with 10,000 of that number being made up of cavalry. with the help of the river clans this army could be deployed throughout the realm on short notice numerous sources attest that the inland waterways of west africa saw extensive use of war canoes and vessels used for war transport where permitted by the environment most west african canoes were of single long construction carved and dug out from one massive tree trunk i don't know why i just started singing sammy take me away take me away <laughs> of Soso was short-lived their momentary dominance sets the stage for the emergence of a greater empire uh why do I feel like I'm picking up somewhere that <laughs> no no that's where I want it to be um Soso is the name of the the Mali people I believe their momentary dominance set the stage for the emergence of a greater empire whose struggle is still commemorated in thriving oral traditions in the early 13th century the exiled prince sandiate sandiata keta the hungering lion Ooh, i need that on a t-shirt led a monday revolt against the powerful soso king sumanguru Conte that marked the ascension of the Mali Empire, both a real historical personage, personage and a cultural hero. Sandiata's rise to power is still celebrated in the Mande-speaking world of 
Jalous, often translated as griots. Individuals who inherited and acquired special knowledge about history, genealogies, and music. Jalous have historically performed a variety of social and political roles and continue to do so today. Their, uh, their praise songs now aired over television and radio in addition to live performance are an important component of the contemporary weddings and religious and national holidays. After Sundiata, the most famous ruler of the Mali Empire, is Mansa Kankan Musa I, who came to power several decades after the death of his legendary pre- predecessor, Musa, was not the first empire of Mali to embrace Islam, unlike the Sonic or Sonike and the Soso, Mandi royalty adopted the religion relatively early. However, Musa's Hajj or Haji? Yeah, Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca of 1324 to 25 drew the attention of both the Islamic world and the Europeans who were unprepared for the lavish wealth and generosity that the Malayan, Malayan, oh, the words, don't want to say it, Malian, there we go, king displayed during his stopover in Egypt. Accompanied by an enormous entourage, Musa apparently dispensed so much gold in Cairo, Cairo that the precious metals value plummeted and did not recover for several years thereafter. I'm rich, bitch! The Mali Empire, previously little known beyond the Western Sudan, now became legendary in the Islamic world in Europe. The image of Mansa Musa bearing nuggets of gold was subsequently commemorated in maps of the African continent. Yeah, there would be a map of Africa and then there'd just be a, a, a photo of Mansa Musa. <laughs> we go like, rich motherfucker right there. The 14th century traveler Ibn Battuta visited ancient Mali a few decades after Mansa Musa's death and was much impressed by the peace and lawfulness he found strictly enforced there. The Mali Empire extended over an larger area, an even larger area than Western Europe, and consisted of numerous vassal kingdoms and provinces. Following Mansa Musa's death, Mali went into a long decline, shrinking to the size of its original territory by 1645. Let's learn about the man, the myth, the legend that is... (laughs) Mansa Musa, probably the richest man ever to grace our planet. Mansa Musa, or Musa I of Mali, was the ruler of the Kingdom of Mali from 1312 CE to 1337 CE. During his reign, Mali was one of the richest kingdoms of Africa, and Mansa Musa was among the richest individuals in the world. The ancient Kingdom of Mali spread across parts of modern-day Mali, Senegal, the Gambia, Guinea, Niger, Nigeria, Chad, Mauritania, as we spoke earlier, and Burkina Faso. Mansa Musa developed cities like Timbuktu and Gao into important cultural centers. He also brought architects from the Middle East and across Africa to design new buildings for his cities. Mansa Musa turned the Kingdom of Mali into a sophisticated center of learning in the Islamic world. Mansa Musa came to power 
after the previous king abu bakar ii disappeared at sea there is a, a, a there is a theory out there that because he said he just wanted to go and see if he can make it to the other side of the ocean and while he never returned he might have made it to the other side of the ocean and we don't know mansa abu bakar ii had departed i'm already telling the story ahead of time i just knew this story departed on a large fleet of ships to explore the atlantic ocean and never return yeah he like took a shit ton of people too it's like one day he woke up you know how you so fucking rich you're just like i'm gonna go out and i'm just gonna i'm gonna go i'm i'm there's land across there i'm gonna go find it i'm taking like fucking 300 ships with me all the gold Mansa, you're in charge uh deuces he was our first eccentric african i tell you there are people over there we go over there we jump into boats and we go over there and we see i do not care i am kanye west before kanye west he will come in the future and he will tell you all about it but i tell you we get on the boat and we get on the seas and we just we go we go we find land don't worry about it you take care of this shit over here we go in five land so mansa musa inherited a kingdom that was already wealthy with his work in expanding trade made but his work in expanding trade made Mali the wealthiest kingdom in africa his riches came from mining significant salt and gold deposits in the Mali kingdom elephant ivory was another major source of wealth when mansa musa went on pilgrim pilgrimage or hajj to mecca in 1324 his journey through egypt caused quite a stir the kingdom of mali was relatively unknown outside of west africa until this event arab writers from the time said that he traveled with an entourage of tens of thousands of people and dozens of camels each carrying 136 kilograms or 300 pounds of gold while in cairo Mansa Musa met with the Sultan of Egypt and his caravan spent and gave away so much gold that the overall value of gold decreased in Egypt, which we already discussed for the next 12 years. Stories of his fabulous wealth even reached Europe. The Catalan Atlas, created in 1375 CE by Spanish cartographers, shows West Africa dominated by a depiction of Mansa Musa sitting on a throne holding a nugget of gold in one hand and a golden staff in the other after the publication of this atlas Mansa Musa became cemented in the global imagination as a figure of stupendous wealth and then Europeans said you know what let's just rape the whole continent welcome to the rice fields motherfucker after his return from Mecca Mansa Musa began to revitalize cities in his kingdom he built mosques in large public buildings in cities like Gao and most famously Timbuktu. Timbuktu became a major Islamic university center during the 14th century due to Mansa Musa's developments. Mansa Musa brought architects and scholars from across the Islamic world into his kingdom and the reputation of the Mali kingdom grew. The kingdom of Mali reached its greatest extent around the same time, a bustling wealthy kingdom thanks to Mansa Musa's expansion and its and administration Mansa Musa died in 1337 and was succeeded by his sons 
his skillful administration left his empire well off at the time of his death but eventually the empire fell apart well after his death mansa musa remained ingrained in the imagination of the world as a symbol of money however his riches are only one part of his legacy and he is also remembered for his islamic faith promotion of scholarship and patronage of culture in mali so that is the kingdom of mali that i wanted to discuss one of the great african empires next we are going to discuss uh in the next episode carthage then after that i think have we talked about axum i feel like we have and there's the songhai empire great zimbabwe and then we'll probably go over to europe after that and discuss uh, irish history because that is next on my list of things to look into i'm sure there will be other african type of history bits i'll probably throw in from time to time but discussing those particular empires uh, does cover a great deal of african history even if it's not in depth and that's the sad part because you can only cover so much and what we do know is so little uh i would love to continue with more but there's definitely a lot of african queens that i want to cover and african kings that are very rarely talked about but i don't want to just stick into africa i do want to do more expansive history all over the world so once we do wrap up with our seven most influential african empires we will move over to some iris history why is everything so slurred <laughs> why am i asking myself that like i don't know the the answer before we do sign off let's talk about beatrice de palacios she was a spanish woman soldier nurse and explorer of african and spanish descent who took part in the spanish conquest of mexico she is widely considered to be one of the first biracial people of partial black ancestry to set foot in the new world aka america nicknamed la parda due to the tone of her skin pardo being a type of brown she arrived to the new world with the expedition of banfilo de narvez along with her husband pedro de escobar a white spaniard as well as her father cristobal palacios she is mentioned by francisco cervantes de salazar and bernal diaz del castillo among other famous conquerors who often express admiration towards her her date of birth is not clear she served as a nurse under the command of isabel rodriguez but also fought at the front lines often taking over the guard duties in place of her husband whenever he was too tired she tended to his wounds and the wounds of others saddled the horses took care of the weapons and did everything just like any other soldier Beatrice served with honor during La Noche Triste, or Tris, helping the Spanish troops evacuate 
Tenochtitlan and later took part in the retaking of the city. Both she and her husband survived the conquest and established a family in Cuba. There is a specific event mentioned the night of June the 30th to July the 1st of 1520 in Tenochtitlan the capital city of the aztec empire is known as the sad night that night the army of extremaduran spaniard hernan cortez and his thousands of they're killing me here they're killing me taxiclan taxiclan first nations allies suffered countless casualties at the hands of the aztecs and were forced to rout in disarray something obscured in history is that during the conquest and its bellicose campaigns including that night many castilian women of various ethnic groups accompanied the spanish men and among these was the afro descendant beatriz del palacios uh, identified by antonio de herrera why Torres who made these names <laughs> toward Celius in 1601 and Juan de Torgmata in 1615 as Mulato or Parda from Spain Beatrice among other freed and enslaved Africans and Afro descendants arrived in Veracruz de Cuba in 1520 with the punitive fleet of the navarres which we already discussed sent by governor diego velasquez to arrest hernan cortez and return him to cuba this fleet consisted of 18 ships and no less than 1200 soldiers the importance of recognizing the presence of women in the spanish company and in particular that of said black conqueror is crucial to conceive with all its true participants the beginning of the history of ethnic relations in modern mexico including its deep african lineage their foregoing is also necessary because of the official uh eurocentric discourse event invents the myth of such a miscegenate <sighs> lord miscegenation of races and asserts that the first mestizo or novo hispano uh, Hernan Cortez had an illegitimate son with Malinche Doña Marina. However, the Afri- Afro descendant children of New Spain, uh, like Beatrice and many others, have been diluted in, de- in deliberate oblivion because they have not fit into said discourse. In Mexico, it is generally unknown that a notable number of African and Afro-Spanish men and women, both free and enslaved, participated in the quote-unquote conquest of Mexico and other places. And this is definitely not the type of history that they're going to teach you in school. So I thought this was an interesting person to know about even if we know so very little about her life she was a notable person and someone that people gave a lot of recognition to uh, or made comments of or she made an impression that's what i mean to say
just gonna do it for us this week no dance party we're gonna bring one back next week we're gonna do some od but goodies per the request of shy so if you want to send feedback for our next episode blackercouch at gmail.com we'll also be talking about that christopher columbus uh a view into the man that mocks the myth of the hero so stay tuned for that as well as the carthinian carthagian i'm pretty sure that's how you say it history once again you can leave a comment below or send that feedback via email my social media will be there as well remember to like share and subscribe until the next time peace hair grease and blacker magic